I need you to trust me because I'm a novice. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 13 of Trust Me, I'm a Novice. I am your host, Sammy St. Ledger. This is the podcast about connections. We are talking science, psychology, spirituality, and about ourselves. This is a podcast for lifelong learners. Last week, we delved right into spirituality. And today, we are following a similar route, but we're mixing spirituality with ourselves. Before we get into today, what's going on with everybody? I hope everyone is doing well. It's January. It is one of the more trying months out of the year. There isn't a lot of sunlight and it's freezing and it's sad and cold. (laughs) That being said, though, the other day it hit me and I want to add one little piece of positivity for anybody struggling to get through these intense winter months. Wherever you are, whether it's not in the U.S., whether it's in the U.S., I want to give a friendly reminder that December 21st was the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, which means the days are getting longer. They're getting longer. (laughs) That's great news. Honestly, I think that's massive. It hit me the other day and it's definitely kept me going. Although this month isn't as fun, the holidays are over, I think it's important to note that we are moving towards warmer weather and longer days, and that's great. In the meantime, we talked about it in previous episodes, if you're not feeling good, if your mood isn't feeling great, do your best to get outside and take that vitamin D that's involved in mood stabilization with a fat like we talked about before. But enough about that, it is episode 13. Quite an interesting number, even before we get into this, 13 is actually known as the number of the Divine Feminine, because you thought we were done talking about female cycles. Nope! (laughs) 13 is the average number of cycles a woman has in a year, and it is the average number of cycles the moon goes through within a year. That's your fun fact of the day. I know you were dying to learn. I know you thought that we were done talking about cycles. We're not. Maybe for today, but... (laughs) That being said, episode 13, last week we talked about spirituality and the idea of following your heart. We discussed intuition, inner knowing, with the help of one of my favorite books, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. We ended last week discussing how going for what you want is incredibly terrifying from time to time, and most of that is rooted in the fear of failure in any sort of avenue. But that being said, There are lots of things I think you can remind yourself of and many different things to be consuming, healthily consuming during this time, referring to information that is, that can help you move through the newer stages of your life. Today, we're discussing the perspective of number one New York Times bestselling author, Glennon Doyle. We are breaking down her third book and specifically reading a chapter from it that to me has a very empowering perspective on going for a change in your life. And in my opinion, a very healthy, fun, and inspiring way to view it. That being said, I am Sammy St. Ledger. This is Trust Me, I'm a Novice. Trust me, trust yourself, and trust the process because we are getting things started.
Now, before we get into this combination of spirituality and self we're discussing today, why are we discussing Glennon Doyle? Why is she an authority figure on what we're going to talk about today? I'll tell you. Glennon Doyle is a number one New York Times bestselling author for memoirs about her life. Vulnerable memoirs, intense memoirs, very raw and eye-opening memoirs that tell her story. Shout out Oprah for... (laughs) It always starts with a shout out to Oprah. We should start counting how many times I shout out Oprah in these podcasts. Because I do it in the podcast, but I also do it just normally during the day. However... We love synchronicity, so first off, how did I stumble upon this author and this book? The same friend that actually bought me The Alchemist was telling me all about this story and how she really, really enjoyed it and found it very inspiring and comforting. And she's telling me all about it. I wanted to read the book, didn't tell anybody. Christmas morning, my sister got it for me. Ah, synchronicities. (laughs) That being said, I got to reading this book through that, which A, I thought was just hilarious once again, like someone wants me to read these things and share them with you, which I embrace fully. And past that though, I read the story and finally I'm going on now walks in this new neighborhood from time to time, despite risking frostbite. And (laughs) after I finish this book, love this book, I go check Oprah's super soul again and she just reposted an interview she did with this author. Go figure. So I listened to the interview and what I found fascinating was I had actually heard the story of this author, but I didn't know that the story she explained of this one woman was in fact her. I thought it was two separate accounts. Basically, Glennon Doyle became an author because of a simple social media post. For those of you that remember posting on social media, if you remember (laughs) Facebook specifically, If you remember Truth Is, anybody? I don't know. If you got a cringe while you remember Truth Is, for those of you that don't know, you would basically post a Truth Is on Facebook, just those words, and whoever liked it, you would have to give them a Truth Is, and you'd be like, you know, 10. So it would be like, yeah, Truth Is, uh, you're my math class, you seem pretty cool, and we should talk more. Or like if you're good friends, be like an inside joke. I don't know. It's not boring. But a simple Facebook post that was actually probably not as silly as that per se. But it was a post that was 25 things about me. New York Times bestselling author Glennon Doyle explains how she one day was taking care of her kids at home. And she decided to post. And her 25 things were incredibly vulnerable, raw, and authentic. And the funny part is she posted it and next day wakes up and has, she said, 27 emails filling up her inbox saying, oh my gosh, thank you for sharing this. I'm struggling with the same thing. Almost every one of her points was intensely vulnerable. She explains how her number six described that she was a recovering bulimic and addict and explains how she still longs for things like that. And in hindsight, she didn't read any posts before and points out one of her friends who posted her number six was, I like hummus. (laughs) Glennon started off with a boom thanks to her vulnerability. Her post was shared tons of times throughout massive communities and made a lot of people feel comforted by her authenticity. 
And this, amongst other things, led her to become an author. In 2013, Glennon released her first New York Times bestseller. It was called Carry On Warrior and explained her journey, which she describes as numbing herself for 16 years of her life with bulimia and alcoholism. The story delves into how she became bulimic when she was 10 years old, which fed into alcoholism, and until she was 26, she dealt with those. And at the age of 26, upon getting pregnant with her first child, she decided to become sober, get help. And ultimately, it led her to find a husband, create a very healthy family, and overcome so much of what she dealt with. The story was very, very loved and delved so much into her vulnerability, which again, as I keep saying, that was why she was so celebrated. She had overcome all of these difficult things and finally got a healthy life. However, her second book, Love Warrior, that came out in 2016, came with a twist. When she released her first story in 2013, right around the day that the book was finished, her husband sat down with her in therapy and explained that he had been cheating on her for the duration of their marriage. So her second book delves into reconstructing her family, reconstructing and deconstructing it, and all of the struggles that accompanied working through infidelity and everything under the sun of something so intense. So the first book is about her finally overcoming her demons and attaining a family. Her second book is about saving the family. And this is where it gets even more interesting. Her third book that we are talking about today is called Untamed. It was released in 2020 and is also a number one New York Times bestseller. The story comes from an eye-opening experience she had one day when she was about to pitch her second book to an audience. The day of the presentation, beforehand, she had a sit-down dinner with other authors that were also pitching their new books that day at the presentation. Upon sitting down with these authors, the door opens and in walks a woman. And Glennon Doyle explains in her story, Untamed, that looking at this woman, she had this experience. Quote, my whole being says, there she is. End quote. Glennon explains how looking at this woman, she realized intuitionally, listening to her heart and inner knowing, that this woman was actually the love of her life. Her third story today that we are breaking down one chapter from explains yet another plot twist within her life, how she realized deep down that she wanted to be with this woman, and ultimately it led to getting a divorce with her husband and creating an entirely new family dynamic for her. And in addition to this, dealing with all the different backlash that accompanied coming out as queer. With all of this being said, this is why today we are breaking down this story. Needless to say, Glennon Doyle, with her three books, and even prior to that, is no stranger to change, hardship, and overcoming moments of difficulty. My goal and my intention is to give you an empowering perspective to take to help push you, help support you, at the very least help you relate when it comes to making a massive change, going through a massive change, and finding the strength to do so. Her perspective is a great one to look at if you need some form of strength and or comfort. With that said, welcome back to book club. 
let's get reading. The chapter I discussed today is called Let It Burn, and it is towards the beginning of her story. She delves into a perspective upon change and what helped her and how she views taking that first leap. Bear with me as you hear my fingers turning these pages. And before I get into this, keep in mind when she discusses knowing, she is referring to following one's intuition and heart. All right, let's begin. Let it burn. Quote, when we let ourselves feel, our inner self transforms. When we act upon our knowing and imagination, our outer worlds transform. Living from the worlds within us will change our outer worlds. Here's the rub. Deconstruction is essential to construction. If we want to build the new, we must be willing to let the old burn. We must be committed to holding on to nothing but the truth. We must decide that if the truth inside us can burn a belief, a family structure, a business, a religion, an industry, it should have been ashes yesterday. If we feel, know, and imagine our lives, families, and worlds become truer versions of themselves, eventually. But at first, it's very scary. Because once we feel, know, and dare to imagine more for ourselves, we cannot unfeel, unknow, or unimagine. There is no going back. We are launched into the abyss, the space between the not true enough life we're living and the truer one that exists only inside us. So we say, maybe it's safer just to stay here. Even if it's not true enough, maybe it's good enough. But good enough is what makes people drink too much and snark too much and become bitter and sick and live in quiet desperation until they lie on their deathbed and wonder, what kind of life, relationship, family, world might I have created if I'd been braver? The building of the true and beautiful means the deconstruction of the good enough. Rebirth means death. Once a truer, more beautiful version is born inside us, Life is in the direction of that vision. Holding on to what is no longer true enough is not safe. It's the riskiest move because it is the certain death of everything that was meant to be. We are alive only to the degree to which we are willing to be annihilated. Our next life will be losing who we just were, what we just built. Our next life will always cost us this one. If we are truly alive, we are constantly losing who we just were, what we just built, and what we just believed, what we just knew to be true. I have lost identities, beliefs, and relationships it has hurt to lose. I have learned that when I live from my emotions, knowing, and imagination, I am always losing. What I lose is always what is no longer true enough so that I can take full hold of what is. For a long while, I contorted myself to live according to a set of old memos I'd been issued about how to become a successful woman and build a strong family, career, and faith. I thought those memos were universal truth, so I abandoned myself to honor them without even unearthing and examining them. When I finally pulled them out of my subconscious and looked hard at them, I learned that these memos had never been truth at all, just my particular culture's arbitrary expectations. Hustling to comply with my memos, I was flying on autopilot, routed to a destination I never chose, so I took back the wheel. I quit abandoning myself to honor those memos. Instead, I abandoned the memos and began honoring myself. I began to live as a woman who never got the world's memos. I burned the memo that defined selflessness as the pinnacle of womanhood. 
but first I forgave myself for believing that lie for so long. I had abandoned myself out of love. They'd convinced me that the best way for a woman to love her partner, family, and community was to lose herself in service to them. In my desire to be of service, I did myself and the world a great disservice. I've seen what happens out in the world and inside our relationships when a woman stays numb, obedient, quiet, and small. Selfless women make for an efficient society, but not a beautiful, true, or just one. When women lose themselves, the world loses its way. We do not need more selfless women. What we need right now is more women who have detoxed themselves so completely from the world's expectations that they are full of nothing but themselves. What we need are women who are full of themselves. A woman who is full of herself and trusts herself enough to stay and do what must be done. She lets the rest burn. I burned the memo presenting responsible motherhood as martyrdom. I decided that the call of motherhood is to become a model, not a martyr. I unbecame a mother slowly dying in her children's name and became a responsible mother, one who shows her children how to fully be alive. I burn the memo insisting that the way a family avoids brokenness is to keep its structure by any means necessary. I notice families clinging to their original structures that were very broken indeed. I notice other families whose structures had shifted and were healthy and vibrant. I decided that a family's wholeness or brokenness has little to do with its structure. A broken family is a family in which any member must break herself into pieces to fit in. A whole family is one in which each member can bring her full self to the table knowing that she will always be both held and free. I decided to let my family's form become an evolving ecosystem. I unbecame a woman clinging to a prescribed family structure and became one clinging to each family member's right to their full humanity, including me. We would break and re-break our structure instead of allowing any of us to live broken. I quit buying the idea that a successful marriage is one that lasts till death, even if one or both spouses are dying inside it. I decided that before I ever vowed myself to another person, I take this vow to myself. I'll not abandon myself, not ever again. Me and myself, we are till death do us part. We'll forsake all others to remain whole. I unbecame a woman who believed that another would complete me when I decided that I was born complete. I let burn my cherished, comfortable idea of America as a place of liberty and justice for all. I let a truer, wider perspective be born in its place, one that included the American experience of people who don't look like me. I wrote myself a new memo about what it means to have strong faith. To me, faith is not public allegiance to a set of outer beliefs, but a private surrender to the inner knowing. I stopped believing in the middleman or hierarchy between me and God. I went from certain to defensive to curious, wide-eyed, and odd, from open fists to open arms, from the shallow to the deep end. For me, living in faith means allowing to burn all that separates me from the knowing so that one day I can say, I and the mother are one. The memos I've written for myself are neither right nor wrong. They are just mine. They're written in sand so that I can revise them whenever I feel, no, imagine a truer, more beautiful idea for myself. I'll be revisiting them until I take my last breath. I am a human being, meant to be in the perpetual becoming. If I am living bravely, my entire life will become a million deaths and rebirths. My goal is not to remain the same, 
but to live in such a way that each day, year, moment, relationship, conversation, and crisis is the material I use to become a truer, more beautiful version of myself. The goal is to surrender constantly who I just was in order to become who this next moment calls me to be. I will not hold on to a single existing idea, opinion, identity, story, or relationship that keeps me back from emerging new. I cannot hold too tightly to any riverbank. I must let go of the shore in order to travel deeper and see farther, again and again and then again, until the final death and rebirth, right up until then. End quote. Now that was a lot, and... It's easy to see her words are incredibly inspiring, and also that the story encapsulates far more than just simple decisions within her life. But what I loved about that passage, one, the powerful writing, but two, the biggest thing that I pull from that passage and the central theme is that this author, Glennon Doyle, no matter what in life, she has decided that she will not abandon herself. And because of this, she is willing to let it burn. I adore that she touched on the idea of selflessness, of the idea how women have been programmed for so long to be selfless and do so because, again, it comes from a place of love. But ultimately, when we operate on those values, we lose ourselves. Past that, she discusses this idea that creating a model for kids younger than us, for our own children, our own nieces, nephews, cousins, that we want to set a model for them as well. And when we give up ourselves entirely, are we telling them to do the same? So I love that she touched on that because she explains how you want to be a model for others. Not abandoning yourself, and I believe this as well, it is the utmost form of self-love and self-respect. I can think of all the times I was unhappy because I was abandoning myself, because I wasn't listening to my heart, to my gut, to my friends, honestly. Sorry, just again. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. But when you know you're in the wrong spot or you know you have to move forward, you can't abandon yourself. And because of that, you have to let it burn. You have to let it burn and know no matter what is happening around you, whatever change you're making, if you know it is for the better, you're going to get through it. The other thing she comments on, and not in this chapter, but she goes to say that she is fireproof. I love that. I love to combine the two and say, let it burn because you're fireproof. Whatever choice you have to make, wherever you have to go next, whatever deep down you know has to happen, let it burn. See what happens. If it is in line with your heart and your intuition and what you want, you're going to be okay. I also take a lot of comfort in the section where she says, deconstruction is essential to construction. If we want to build the new, we must be willing to let the old burn. We must be committed to holding on to nothing but the truth. To me, this section provides me massive amounts of comfort and support. And I hope it does to people listening as well. Because it's true, deconstruction is essential to reconstruction. 
It is so scary when you are in the throes of change, when you are in the throes of a decision you just made, but don't know what's next. But if you can find it within yourself, and every day I'm working to find it within me too, to just embrace the chaos, the change, what's happening, and know that it is ultimately all happening for the better. I think that's another great mantra, that deconstruction is essential to reconstruction. And finally, I like how she touches on, we don't want to be at the end of everything and ask, what if I were braver? What would I have done? I think that question stands for itself. You want to embrace, and in a sense, you have to embrace whatever you have to do, whatever you want, because you don't want to look back and ask, what if? What if I would have just reached out to that one person? What if I would have made that move? What if I would have told that person how I felt? What if I swapped to that career? What if I stopped trying to make everybody like me? What if I stopped caring about what people think? If you pull anything from this chapter, I really think wrapping it all together and more towards what I mentioned first is that if you can get within your brain, if you can remind yourself and sit when you are dealing with massive fear of what's next, of failure, of rejection, if you can sit with yourself and think ultimately no matter what, I have to follow my heart. I have to follow who I am. And because of this, I am willing to let it burn. But letting it burn is the highest form of love and respect shown to myself. I believe that's the key to becoming the most unstoppable version of yourself to ever exist. You are constantly changing. Change is the only constant. So it's about time we embraced it. Okay, that's it for today. I hope what I shared with you was helpful, inspiring, supportive, even at the very least, just something you can relate to. If you like the podcast, obviously give it a follow. And in addition to that, be sure to follow me on Instagram at Trust Me, I'm a Novice. Next week, we have been, <laughs> I'm going to start laughing. <laughs> We have been very serious for several episodes, which while I've loved it in life and I need to remind myself this daily, we got to have a little bit of fun. So that being said, next week we're taking a break from the serious and we are swapping to, I'm going to try to say this with a straight face, the science behind, (laughs) (laughs) it's not even that funny. That's the thing. It's just now it's... (laughs) Next week we are next week we are swapping back to the science behind chemistry. If anyone calls it, I slipped in the ovulation cycle already earlier in the conversation because we are moving back to that and looking at why someone that identifies as female may be temporarily attracted to your beard. I will leave you with that. My name is Sammy St. Ledger. This is Trust Me, I'm a Novice. We will be back next week. And as always, trust me because I'm a novice.